0: My name is Irwin Fletcher. I'm an investigative reporter for a Los Angeles paper. You probably read my stuff under the byline of Jane Doe. With the hay, is better than Irwin. Welcome to the Now Playing Podcast Fletch Movie Retrospective Series.
1: You're a bit of a shady character, Mr. Fletcher. But I am adorable.
0: Hosted by Arnie.
1: You have journalistic integrity.
0: Yeah.
2: And you have a sense of loyalty. Justin. You're cleaner than most of the ones we get around here. (laughs) You smell nice. (laughs) I suspect you'll be
0: popular. And Stuart. Ladies and gentlemen,
2: he sees more than he does know.
0: But be warned, this episode will contain detailed plot spoilers and strong language.
2: You fucking with me? Come on. Be honest, Morris, are you talking to me?
0: We hope you enjoy the show. Go
1: ahead, make my day.
3: Today we're discussing Confess Fletch, starring John Hamm, Ray Wood Jr., John Slattery, with Marsha Gay Harden, and Kyle McLaughlin, directed by Greg Matola. This is Arnie, the now-playing co-host who's very easy at falling in love with. And Stuart.
1: And this is Justin. I'm ready to shut up and talk about this movie.
2: (laughs) Fletch three. All right, question number one. Why no Chevy Chase? He's still
3: alive. He could do it. He's been super canceled ever since quitting Community. I don't think anybody's been talking about him doing it. In fact, nobody's been talking about him doing it for over 20 years. This talk of a third Fletch film, I remember the 90s when I was in my Kevin Smith hysteria phase. And I was constantly on the View Askew forums and everything right after Mallrats. Kevin Smith is like, I'm doing a new Fletch film. It's going to be based on Fletch 1. It's going to be a prequel. It was going to be Ben Affleck, right? Well, initially it was going to be Jason Lee. And I could actually see that. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. He has the same kind of smart-ass humor that Chevy Chase does, but Harvey Weinstein kind of shut that down, saying Jason Lee movies don't make any money. (laughs) And so then Kevin Smith was forced to say, well, what about my other friend Ben Affleck? Maybe Ben Affleck could do it. (laughs) Yeah, I could see that movie getting made. Why didn't it get made? Smith decided not to compromise on his casting of Jason Lee and around 2005, which is really after Smith's heyday, he left the project. Now, I personally feel like a Kevin Smith-directed Fletch film would be just as funny as Cop Out, which maybe Smith's... Well, no, no, I've seen Jay and Silent Bob get old, but it's one of Kevin Smith's absolute worst films. (laughs) (laughs)
1: You haven't seen Yoga Hosers.
3: No, I have not. Do not. (laughs) But then, Bill Lawrence, a creator who I have a lot of respect for, not a name that rolls off the tongue, but he did Scrubs, and he did the horribly underrated TV show Cougar Town, which was incredibly funny once it found its footing, but just cursed with a terrible name. He was going to do the Fletch reboot, and he was going to bring along a Scrubs alum. It was going to be Zach Braff as Fletch. I can kind of see that.
2: I guess so. It's definitely a different take, but okay. And why didn't that happen? Zach Braff stopped happening. It felt like a few years after Garden State, it was a no go.
3: It felt like this just kept changing hands, changing hands for a while. It was going to be Jason Sudeikis as Fletch, which I think would be perfect casting, honestly. Pre-Ted Lasso. That would happen now. But what's interesting is the rights stuck with Miramax. I mean, Kevin Smith was a Miramax guy back before it got sold and all of that. And Miramax now, I believe, still owned by Disney, right? You know, I couldn't believe that this
2: movie came out with that imprimatur of Miramax. Like, they're not ashamed. Everyone associates this with sex crimes, but that (laughs) name still is going on new movies. Not the Weinsteins. Worth pointing out, the Weinsteins didn't make this movie, but Miramax did. Well,
3: Miramax got sold and the Weinsteins went off to start the Weinstein Corporation. Yeah, but you know what I mean. Like, (laughs) they tried to buy it back and their name is
2: very closely tied to it. The taint is still there. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe some people can't. Maybe some people don't associate Miramax with Weinsteins anymore, but to me, it was a real shocker.
3: And John Hamm was a huge fan of the Chevy Chase films, and after seeing the first Chase film, John Hamm, he's just a few years older than I am, he actually did what I didn't. He went out and got the book it was based on and read every single Fletch book there was. Which is like 12.
2: It's worth pointing out, this was a large book series, and by the time the Chevy Chase movie was out,
3: there were like 10 of them. It had been running all throughout the 70s. Miramax already had a writer working on Confess Fletch with just kind of on spec, nobody really attached. John got interested in the project, he did bring in the director, the director then did a rewrite on the script because he said it wasn't a great script for John Hamm, maybe a good script for Chevy Chase, and he actually took the script, made it closer to the original book, and... Yeah, it ended up coming out. John Hamm even gave back 60% of his salary to the budget so they could film a few extra days. They ran out of money on the production, and Hamm, as a producer, just believed in this film so much and wanted it to work so much that he gave up his money. Well, he stands to gain. If he can get a franchise going, if people can
2: forget about Don Draper, and he could be a leading man, even in a small indie movie... I think that would be a nice second act for him. He's right now, I think, is still trying to find an identity beyond Mad Men. John Hamm. I'll say this. I've only seen a couple episodes of Mad Men and Kimmy Schmidt. I mostly know if he's in a movie, he's usually doing what he did in Top Gun 2. The smarmy, slightly villainous suit who is just full of conceitedness and follow the rules annoyance that, I don't know, I haven't seen him do Leading Man. That's kind of the stretch here, is that I haven't seen him carry a movie.
3: I watched every episode of Mad Men as my binge watch at the start of COVID. I'd never seen an episode and decided to give that a shot, watched every single episode, really liked it, really like what he was doing with that character. I mean, I'd known John Hamm as an SNL guest host and we reviewed him in baby driver that edgar wright movie we did a few years back i've seen him in films but always knew him as oh it's the guy from mad men and finally caught up with it but yeah he doesn't seem to get leading roles all that often he was great in baby driver though just i keep re-watching baby driver and i keep loving what he does in that movie more and more I don't really remember that movie, I'll be honest. He was in it? He was the bad guy.
2: (laughs) Mm. This is what I'm saying. He just usually plays villains. Well, I mean, I've seen him do more than
1: that. Like, it just feels like he's more of a supporting character than a leading man. And I've seen him have some range. Like, you know, his Don Draper character is more serious and kind of an a-hole. But he also does comedy well, too. So I'm up to see if he can handle the role of
2: Fletch. The director I knew a little bit better. Greg Mottola was one of the... Darlings of indie comedies. He tried to be, like many people, the new Woody Allen in the 90s. He made a little film called The Day Trippers and kind of got his legs in doing that kind of small comedy Adventureland. land. We reviewed Paul. It's probably the worst thing Peg and Frost have done, but that alien movie mm-hmm. that we wish was as good as Shaun of the Dead. Super bad.
3: Yeah, I mean, Super Bad is where I know him most from and love that film. I mean, that gets
2: credited probably rightfully. I mean, people think of that as a Judd Apatow kind of thing. Like, people forget that Judd Apatow didn't direct that movie. That was his breakout success. But by and large, I don't think that he's made a mainstream hit.
3: Yeah, I saw Keeping Up With The Joneses, and I don't recommend you do. But it did star John Hamm. So they already had a relationship, and maybe John Hamm brought this guy on. My
2: question was, are they making a sequel Or are they going back to the literary origins? This was, after all, a book series, and Chevy Chase did have some of the smarminess of the character in the books, but in the end, I felt like he wasn't so interested in following the plots. And I actually really enjoyed Confess Fletch. I read it last week for this review and found it largely the same story we're here to talk about, but done in a way. For me, anyway, that I was guessing. The details come more layered, and it really kept you guessing about motivation. It felt more like a noir than this movie will. This movie feels like a lark, but the book, I think you really did have a sense of more imminent danger from everything. What were people up to? There was a dead girl, there was a kidnapping, there was missing art, and connecting all those pieces took a lot of work. I had to read carefully. So, as you're reading this in your mind's eye, who are you casting as Fletch? John Ham, because that was what I knew it would be. Unfortunately, because I was reading it with the idea that it was going to be adapted, it just sort of fit in there that it was going to be him. I guess the
1: better question would be does it read on the page as if John Ham would fit in here?
2: Well, yeah, the character has always had some of the wry, what I would call annoying smarm that Chevy Chase has. So yeah, I feel like John Hamm has a little bit of that as well when he does comedy. Yeah, I feel like it made sense. All the choices behind the scenes seem to sync up, and I was really excited after reading the book to see it come alive. That's
1: kind of my question coming into this is, since we know it's not going to be a Chevy Chase vehicle, and we know there's been a history of false starts on this, and here we are All these years later, finally getting a follow up to Fletch, maybe a reboot, who knows, is what we're about to watch more
2: true to the author's intentions? I would say a little bit. Confess Fletch is a little bit more true to its literary source than Fletch was to the first book.
3: So, my question is about this movie did either of you know it was being made? Because quite literally, one day, I'm going into Apple TV to look for something to watch. I think I go into Hulu. And I go, oh, there's a third Fletch film. I had no idea they were making that, but I guess I'll watch it tonight.
1: Yeah, I'm right there with you. It was just there one day.
3: It wasn't an option to watch. It was more
2: like I get a text of, are we doing Fletch series? I'm like, wait, what? What are you talking about? (laughs) New movie. We were in the middle of Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, and I was just like, no room in the end. Sorry, can't do. But yeah, it's now on Showtime. Two months later after it's Amazing theatrical run where it made half a million dollars and, uh yes, streamed at the same time.
3: How many theaters did it go to? Two?
2: It was here. It was here in Springfield. I did not go. I was doing other now-playing things. We didn't have it confirmed we would do this. But when other things we expected to come out in November did not materialize, we had room for three movies. It became fletched because this thing popped out of nowhere. and. The surprise release feels like more from the world of music. You know, like, oh, Beyonce has a new album nobody knew about yesterday. Taylor Swift can drop something at midnight. But maybe more and more now, this is the way to go. Get your money quick and have that big reaction right away. I imagine you rented it, Arnie, right? Fan of the first two, you see there's a new one. How could you not be curious?
3: Yeah, the day I found out that there was a Fletch movie available... I watched it. I was that excited, especially when I saw it was John Ham doing Fletch. But my god, there was no marketing. I mean, why would you not advertise a Fletch movie? Why would you not promote a John Ham movie? I don't know who John Ham pissed off at Miramax to <laughs> have this thing just swept under the rug the way it was, but yeah, I watched it immediately that night, and then I was the one texting, like, hey, what about a Fletch series?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's no smaller release than Prey or the new Hellraiser. I mean, I do feel like this is maybe the wave of the future, that things that we knew from the past will come back in these small little bursts, and it will only matter to the people that are already initiated.
1: I mean, it does feel like it could be one of these COVID movies where, you know, they didn't know when it would be able to come out, and by the time they found a place on the schedule, they were like, screw it, let's just throw it on streaming and in a few theaters for a week. But yeah, it came out of nowhere. It was nowhere on my radar, and I was I was excited to see that they were coming back to Fletch again.
3: And I know it didn't make much in theaters, but it only cost $20 million to make, so that's cheap for a movie these days. Half a million is a money loss. However cheap
2: this movie costs to make, yes, I agree with you, Modest budget, but this is, who knows, on the streaming, this is the part that we don't know. We know that nobody went to the movie theater, but enough people like Arnie, out of curiosity, click and spend the $20, usually is what it is, for those brand new movies. I don't know. I guess we'll see if they make another one, it was profitable enough. Well, to preview, the director says he'd be on board, but he doesn't know if anybody cares. (laughs) (laughs)
3: All right, well, let's find out. What does Fletch have to confess? Arnie, give him the plot. Fletch is suspected of murder. The retired reporter, now played by John Hamm, was staying in Boston. But when he arrived at his rented townhouse, he found a dead woman. With no other leads, Sergeant Inspector Monroe, played by Roy Wood Jr., and his partner Grizz, are keeping an eye on their prime suspect, Fletch. After retiring from investigative reporting, Fletch made a name for himself as an art critic. This got him hired by Italian Countess DeGrasi, played by Marcia Gay Hardin, to find some stolen art. The Countess's husband, Count DeGrasi, played by Robert Picardo, owned a vast art collection, including an original Picasso painting. The art collection was stolen, and the Countess thinks Fletch can find it. In the meantime, Fletch becomes romantically involved with the Countess's stepdaughter, Andy. Then the Count gets kidnapped, and the kidnappers demand not money, but the Picasso painting as a ransom, so the pressure is on for Fletch to find that art. Fletch got a lead. Posing as a wealthy art buyer, Fletch gets Boston art dealer Ronald Horan, played by Kyle MacLachlan, to admit he's able to procure the piece from the sellers. That is why Fletch went to Boston to meet with art dealer Horan. Horan delivers on his promise and procures the painting, claiming it's being sold by an anonymous party. Fletch follows Horan and finds out, in fact, there is no anonymous seller. Horan has all the Count's stolen paintings in his possession. In between investigating the art theft, Fletch also investigates the dead woman's murder. The townhouse he's renting belongs to a college friend of Andy's, an opioid addict named Owen. Fletch, using a variety of pseudonyms, but not costumes, questions Owen's ex-wife Tatiana, Owen's neighbor Eve, and even Owen himself, who was Fletch's main suspect. The Countess comes to Boston to visit Fletch, and Andy soon follows. When Andy storms out after a fight with Fletch, Fletch follows her right to Ronald Horan's apartment. It was Andy who stole the paintings, afraid her new stepmother would squander Andy's inheritance. Andy had given the paintings to Horan, who, without Andy's permission, began selling the valuable art. Horan was double-crossing Andy to pay off his own debts and planned to kill the heiress. He also killed the woman in the apartment as a means to frame Fletch, hoping to keep Fletch from sniffing around for the stolen art. Fletch interrupts the would-be murder, only to find Horan's gun pointed squarely at Fletch. Police detective Grizz arrives and saves Fletch, shooting and killing Horan. Sergeant Inspector Monroe had discovered, via videotape, that Horan was the murderer. His name cleared Fletch's free and reunites with Count Degrassi, His kidnapping had been faked by he and Fletch in order to provide leads on the stolen artwork. The Count tells Fletch to keep the art, so Fletch sends some pieces of it to people who helped with his investigation, but keeps the Picasso for himself as credits roll. My question again,
2: sequel or rethinking, when we get the first shot of John Hamm, he's walking into a Boston apartment filled with famous, you know, there's the Picasso, there's the Degas, there's the Andy Warhol shoes. When we finally get the first shot of him, he's wearing a Lakers hat. And that was entirely the invention of Chevy Chase.
3: That was not in the books. Like I said, John Hamm was a fan of the original films. I think this is a soft reboot, but it's definitely going to pay homage to Chase's incarnation.
2: Yeah. Later, we'll have him reconnect with his old editor, who has a different last name. Not different from the one that was in the movie. So... Sometimes I feel like they're making ties, sometimes I feel like they're trying to do their own thing. To me, it feels like from very early on in this movie
1: that this is going to be its own thing. It's not trying to be in the same vein as the original films.
2: Well, like Fletch lives, we have another case of a man who's kind of ambivalent about a dead woman. He goes downstairs. Sure enough, there's a corpse on the rug and he's dialing the non-emergency police line and... Being kind of Chase-like, I feel like it's not unchevy like but because he didn't sleep with this woman, because he's asserting right from the get-go, I know I'm not guilty, so I'm not going to worry about this, it signals to the audience that we are never to think that Fletch could or should confess. He's our likable hero,
3: surrounded by people that we shouldn't trust. But I feel like, again, the character of Fletch in the novel was a smart aleck. I feel like Ham is really channeling that, more than Chase did even. I think that this is a closer-to-the-book representation of the character and removing all of the Chevy Chase kind of skit humor. Well, that's because Chase didn't perform. Chevy was not an actor. I mean, it was called
2: out before. He didn't create a character. He was Chevy Chase calling himself Fletch. So, yes, this feels very much like someone who was a fan of that, and maybe trying to capture some of that spirit, but also give a performance here, who is an actor, and is acting in semi-irreverent but noble... I don't have the problem with following this guy that I did in previous Fletch movies. I feel like, yes, we know from the get-go... I don't even know if that's true in the book. We knew that Fletch probably didn't kill the girl, but he seemed to be up to something bad with other stuff. The kidnapping and all of that I couldn't clear him of. It made the novel a whole lot more of a guessing game than here. We pretty much have everything laid out for us right from the get-go. We have a flashback early on to Italy and it kind of tells us everything that took most of the book to unravel. And just to keep going
1: with the John Hamm as Fletch thing, he's doing more work as the character of Fletch to sell us the audience of his charm and of his cuteness that I feel like Chevy Chase just assumed he would get for being Chevy Chase, where John Ham's working the character more here. Agreed. Which is pretty apparent when early on we see him winning over the Duchess's stepdaughter. She don't you want to be in this meeting, and within three minutes she's looking lovingly into his eyes.
3: Oh, and I love the scenes overseas. John Hamm on that little scooter as the opening credits go. I don't know, that's just a very funny image to me because he's a very tall man on a scooter (laughs) with his back very stiff and straight. And yeah, the very attractive Countess's daughter. I knew where this was going, but I didn't expect it to get there so fast. I uh, found it very funny when she asks him, what should I call you? And then smash cut to her riding him and screaming Fletch. (laughs) Yeah, see, the thing is with the book series, you
2: were trying to connect to him running away to Brazil at the end of that first one to why he's coming back from Europe. There's a whole lot more mystery to what Fletch was up to. But as here, because, hell, let's face it, the average movie-going audience wouldn't even have heard of Fletch before at this point. No one under 40 knows who this character is. You just have to data dump and say he's this reporter doing an investigation on all the paintings and women like him and just get through all of that pretty quick.
1: Well, and that also has to be justified to this modern audience as well, too, because being an investigative journalist isn't the same as it was 30 years ago. They even bring that up with social media and instant news and all that now.
2: And the other thing that's weird, too, is that Fletch is really presenting himself as someone that cares passionately about art. He writes about it. That's how he's made his living for years. I don't know if you get that in this movie. I don't know if you understand his relationship to the art. It just sounds like he's a hired investigator, and the art just happens to be something that he has to look at this time. It doesn't feel like a passion, like he would want a Picasso, the way he's going to grift it at the end of this
3: movie. No, the way that it's told here, First of all, he speaks very knowledgeably about art, and second of all, he does drop a line, and it is just dropped line, but I caught it, both viewings, that he'd been working as an art writer for several years. But what got me is that doesn't fit with my impression of Fletch. What I'm trying to decide is how did the investigative reporter become an art critic, but yet I got it from this that that's how he got the gig. It's in the movie. It's there. It's not just that he's a private investigator. It's that he's an art expert somehow. Again, did the book explain this at all? Because this is the second book. How did he go from investigative reporter looking into drugs on a beach to art critic? Again, I think because he inherited all of that windfall
2: at the end of the first one, he was living off someone else's money. He took that money that was meant for him to disappear and actually live a life, I think what they're telling us is this is a man that would rather be living it up in culture. He's not a Lakers fan. The Chevy Chase incarnation was the idea that he was an everyman, whereas the book character was really, he was kind of a cultural snob. And so it's kind of weird that we have both here. We have the art critic wearing the Lakers hat. But yeah, there are nine paintings that have gone missing, and the man that owned them has also been kidnapped. We have that established really quick. And what does it mean? I think you suspect Andy right away, right? She just looks suspicious in the fact that she did get in bed with him so quickly. That makes her a suspect. The fact that she's talking so badly about her father's stepwife To me, it telegraphed too quickly that she should be on your list.
1: Well, I mean, with all the Fletch movies, I feel like every character is going to end up on that list. But honestly, with Andy, I feel like that suspicion doesn't come in until much later in the film. I mean... She can't be crossed off early on, but I don't think it's really established that she might be in on it until much later.
3: I agree. I think that I didn't take her at all as a suspect until much later in the film. Here, the fact that she's arguing with her stepmother feels like a trope. The wicked stepmother, who we're not introduced to for about half the movie. We only hear about her. And so I immediately took Andy's side I thought the stepmother was going to be the villain, because I had no idea of that relationship. Why wouldn't the stepmother just be in it for the money? Why wouldn't the stepmother take the art?
2: Okay, and again, unfortunately, when you like a book, your reading is colored by what you remember from a freshly read novel, and so I'm just bringing in a lot watching this movie. So, I can't see it with totally new eyes, the way you guys are. But the one that we should definitely be suspecting is Kyle McLaughlin. Ronald Horan is the art dealer who has been selling those paintings. Now, he is a broker. He is someone that claims, I do it for other people. So maybe he doesn't know that he's dealing in stolen art. But he looks pretty scummy when we have him introduced germaphobe, upset that Fletch touches his model of his boat, and generally giving us the vibe of someone that we would like to see fall
3: never suspected him for a minute it's kyle maclachlan doing a humorous performance i think of kyle maclachlan as usually a kind presence in films. so you did not suspect him at all <laughs> no
2: he's a geeky guy dancing to edm and yeah i'm with stuart come on he's so annoying in the way that he's got to <laughs> sanitize all the time yeah i'm with
1: stuart here. like with fletch lives you called it out early there that it was kind of scooby-doish and i kind of felt like the minute we see Kyle McLaughlin on screen here, it's like, oh, he's going to be our bad guy. I
2: feel that's true. I'd like to believe it's not just because I had read the ending of the book. You know, the book's only about 80% the same. There is 20% difference, but I I couldn't help thinking that it was obvious. I Hearing that it's not, but I really feel like you would be thinking that Angela and this guy were involved. I'll
1: split the difference a little bit, because... It's more about the casting and less about the Mm -hmm. character. The character, if it was somebody else, it's truly that it was Kyle MacLachlan. I'm like, oh, you don't put him in a movie like this, this early, to not have him be the big bad at the end.
2: Like Kyle
3: Holbrook. They almost kind of look the same at this point. I guess I just watched too much Portlandia, because Kyle MacLachlan was great as the mayor in that show, (laughs) and he looks the same here with that white hair and everything, and he also was... A character's father on How I Met Your Mother, and I just am used to seeing him in comedic performances, and so I thought he was here for some comic relief. At the very least, I'd say this is casting against Kyle MacLachlan's current type. Maybe not his older type, but the way he's been playing lately outside of the Twin Peaks abomination.
2: Well, everyone's here for comic relief. It's worth pointing out that this is light. I don't feel... Like, they go as heavy as they could on the noir elements. Yes, Fletch is a sarcastic investigator, and I definitely think that his relationship with the inspector, Monroe in this case, was the backbone of the book. The way that they traded barbs and the way that this guy was always trying to get Fletch to confess was the story, at least on the page. You want to retain that sarcasm. But again, there was real mystery and intrigue that... Here, I would caution people that this is mostly comedy. I feel like, yes, you are trying to figure stuff out, but it's a light mystery. The fact that someone dies barely goes noticed.
1: I like how they're treating this because it kind of puts a ticking clock on the wall for us where Fletch is being looked at by the inspector. And for the runtime of this movie, the police believe that he is the murderer and they just don't have him dead to rights yet. That adds a little bit of a nice little flame under this plot that the other two didn't really have. The other two just kinda bumbled along. Here Fletch is kinda on a timeline where he has to figure this out before it runs out for him.
2: I wish I liked the pairing better. I don't know Roy Wood Jr., the guy that's playing Monroe here. He's Daily Show. Is that what it is? Yep. And he's got this assistant Grizz who's doing a lot here too, always tailing him and being left behind. John Hamm is hopping in Ubers and doing tricks like she'll be driving through
3: a tunnel and he'll be walking
2: by her in the other direction.
3: I love how he gets out of the Uber there. I can't stop here. Okay, just tell me where in the car you want me to throw up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm enjoying this type of hijinks. This is working for me.
3: I
2: like it okay, but I guess and again, this is what happens when you fall in love with a book. I feel like they've really reduced this. This was so much of the book, and here it's just kind of comic relief and the trade the barbs the investigations it was you know what it read like it read like fletch and this cop were really working together even though they couldn't admit it to try and solve all of these things meanwhile you're also looking at fletch as maybe being an art thief and that made it kind of fun and here it is purely punchlines that these cops are always being misdirected into he'll remove the bug from his car and put it on a bus to philly or what have you it might be funny but it just feels reduced in importance. They feel like buffoons.
3: I never think they feel like buffoons so much as Fletch is just one step ahead. I don't feel like the cops are idiots. I feel like Fletch is really clever. And yeah, I'm smiling and smirking this entire movie. It sounds like the book doesn't keep a lot of the humor, whereas if you're going to be making a Fletch movie, No matter what, I think you would have to retain some humor because that's what Fletch is more known as, as Chevy Chase's character. So, I actually find this movie to be funnier than either of Chevy Chase's efforts and love this movie for it.
1: And I think this relationship is working for me because it's doing two things. It's selling us as the audience and the inspector and his sidekick on Fletch. They want to think he's guilty, but the more they learn about him, the more charming he is to them and disarming. So it becomes harder and harder to try to pin this on him the more you know about him.
2: But it quickly becomes a soup. I wonder if you guys could really formulate possible motives for all the characters they're going to throw in here that are quote-unquote suspects. It feels like we meet a lot of kooks, right? A lot of weirdos. And they're suspects because they just happen to live around this apartment, but not a clear through line as to why they might actually wanted to have stolen paintings or hurt Fletch or the apartment owner, this mysterious guy who, for most
3: of the movie, we don't know where he's at, Owen Tasserly. I never took any of these people as suspects. I took them as people who are there to provide clues, but who the killer is is a mystery. Fletch seems to think... Yeah, the apartment landlord, the one who's renting it to him, Owen Tasserly, is the prime suspect, but he's supposed to be out of the country. But I never took, like, stoner neighbor Eve as a suspect. That can't possibly even be in the mind of somebody watching this movie. (laughs) Not in the way that she's portrayed in this
2: movie, where, like, yeah, the kitchen's on fire and she opens drawers and pans fall out. She, like, cuts her an artery or something. It's like... All she's talking about is this neighbor.
1: They do try to sell it, though. Like, the idea that she's in love with Owen, so possibly she has a motive if there's another woman there.
2: But it's pure comedy. Again, I feel like
3: this movie is pitched in the fact that she's a real crackpot. And the wife, Tatiana, also highly funny. (laughs) What does it mean to be bespoke? It bespeaks to you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The callback later was great, too. He doesn't even know what bespoke means.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this is some of the newer stuff. This wasn't in the book, but there was an ex-wife. She's Gwyneth Paltrow, right? It's a goop-speak thing. We can see that she's, again, I guess, depending on your feelings about
3: Gwyneth Paltrow is how funny it is that she's mocked in this way. I don't know. It wasn't my favorite part. I caught it was Gwyneth on the second watching where When describing her divorce, she didn't call it a conscious uncoupling, but something to that effect. Yes,
2: yeah, I thought that was an obvious signaling. And again, she kind of has the blonde sort of privileged cluelessness that I think Paltrow gets satirized for having.
1: Well, it's also just kind of an indictment on modern day society, too, that somebody wouldn't even second guess the idea that they're going to be interviewed for some hoity-toity, better homes and garden type of interview.
2: But the thought is that perhaps one of these women came into the apartment thinking that Owen was cheating with this woman. The dead woman was a lover. Do they establish that no one had intercourse with her
3: in this movie? No. They don't establish that anybody did, and it doesn't seem like they would have based on where she was killed, but it's not overtly stated. Don't you kind of forget there's a dead woman in this? (laughs) I mean, it really does kind of go away. (laughs) I don't only because... Every time the inspector shows up, that's what he's talking about. But yes, Fletch spends an equal amount of time investigating Art while he's being investigated for murder.
1: She does disappear into the background, I will say that, Stuart. Because later in the movie, when her saddened, heartbroken boyfriend shows up, it took me a minute to even realize who the hell they were talking about. It's like, oh, okay, he's here because he's pissed off that his girlfriend was murdered.
2: All of this feels like screwball comedy. It doesn't feel like suspects in a drawing room, Agatha Christie murder mystery. It feels like a Woody Allen movie where like just all these neurotic New Yorkers converge on apartments and bicker at each other. I
1: guess I'm going along with it enough to be okay with any one of these people that they're presenting to us could possibly be in on it. But I am sensing a conspiracy here and I'm not necessarily understanding who's doing what or why. I think that's by design. They're not giving us clues to us yet to unravel this.
2: There's also a bearded weird man that will be revealed to be the owner of the apartment. He slips in and beats up on Fletch, and we'll find out it's all because he's stealing Oxy. That's obviously a modern joke, not in the book, from the 70s. But, I mean, the real suspects, it's the family, right? It's the fact that Fletch is engaged to an Italian woman, working for this Countess Marcia Gay Harden who blows in at the 40-minute mark. And this is half Brazilian, half Italian, half French. It's a
3: big performance, right? Flesh, wear paintings. <laughs> Marcia Gay Harden, I know I've seen her in stuff, but what is she known for? She won her
2: Oscar for the Jackson Pollock movie. I don't even think she deserved it, but I think there was a low turnout for supporting actress that year. She's done Coen Brother movies. I don't really know why she's worked as often as she has, but she's been around in prestigious films, working for prestigious directors for much of her career. And in this movie, you know, which is kind of low on star power, she's as, I guess, big as they could get for the contestant.
1: Hey, I remember from an episode of SVU where <laughs> she was playing a pretty despicable white nationalist that turns out to be an FBI agent who was undercover.
2: Like a dramatic role?
1: Yeah, it was great. Wow. But she's really pouring it on here. The accent is coming out of every pore of her body here.
2: (laughs) Screwball comedy. And again, accent on the screw here. You think that they're going to hook up, right? Like it's pretty clear that is he going to end up with the daughter, the mother, all of this stuff. Again, I think Woody Allen a lot. He'll make these half-baked detective things that are really about neurotic romance.
1: Yeah, and even at the end of the movie, I'm not sure if she was trying to hook up with Fletch or not, or if that's just her weird, quirky thing. Like, she follows him into the bathroom, she's in lingerie.
3: Oh, she was. When she's in bed with him and says, Fletch, take me, and he does it, and then she goes, you passed my test. <laughs> that is definitely covering up the fact that she wanted to sleep with her stepdaughter's boyfriend.
1: I mean, she hired him, so she might have had first dibs, I guess, in her mind. <laughs>
2: And she does believe her husband is dead. She went to some soothsayer who had a prophecy about him in a coffin full of cats. And because the man's allergic to cats, (laughs) he would have died. And so she's already buried her husband and is moving on. And again, does that make her look guilty? Did you guys think? I think we're supposed to think it's either the mother or the daughter, right? With Kyle McLaughlin as the intermediary. Yeah,
1: you know, I was pretty sure that she was the one who was pulling the strings, at least.
2: And then we have, in a little bit of meta, or maybe it's just the fact that John Hamm has to call friends, his old castmate from Mad Men, John Slattery, is playing his old editor, Frank Jaffe, who was transferred from L.A. and is now working in Boston, conveniently.
3: Yeah, John Slattery was his boss for most of Mad Men, and now here is playing his old boss. So, yeah, I think it works to have that kind of comfort, I think... Anyone who's seen Mad Men will carry that in here a little bit, that relationship, and help add history to what is really a very small part. Did it even really need to be here? He does provide some
2: information about the guy that owns the apartment, Owen. He sends a criminal report that might make him look like the murderer a little bit. Fletch thinks he is the person that killed the woman for a little while. But mostly, again, I think it might be a holdover from the movies. He mentions about the fact that he still owes him for those business experiences about carriage horses and all. It made me think of that last Chevy Chase movie where he wasn't paying the bills on all his disguises. Might be a Fletch Lives reference. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I
1: mean, I think you're right. It's a little bit of nostalgia for the original movies, and it's also a little bit of Fletch does need at least one character that we know as an audience isn't a suspect to bounce stuff off of. Because it's not just, I mean, they do meet up at a bar later on, and he's able to get some information out of him. And I suppose it's nice to have the idea that if need be, he can publish his story, which that was his plan kind of, again, the same way from the original Fletch, where if I don't make it through this, the story's going out on the wire.
2: And the Gina Davis character is here too. Larry is working the front desk. I don't know if you notice.
3: Oh, I didn't catch that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, neither did I, because I
1: wasn't sure where he was at first. I thought he was back at the police station asking to see somebody else. But yeah, by the time she's off screen, then you realize, oh, he's at the Boston Globe.
3: But Fletch does do some undercover work. He does go to the country club where he pretends like he's one of the members, steals somebody's membership coat, and follows Kyle McLaughlin Horan to his boat where he's keeping all the art. There's some vaguely Chevy Chase-ish bit about
2: some other snoot comes walking over wanting to know who Fletch is related to and hearing a story about a man who is a friend and Fletch telling him that he swam into a boat propeller or something. That's as close as we get to the disguise thing is this scene. Is that disappointing? Well, that's about this point in the movies where I started
1: thinking about it. It's like, oh, okay, so this is a different Fletch. We're not getting kooky put on disguises, put on a voice type of Fletch. It's just more about charming his way through things. And then it hit me also that we're not getting any voiceover narration of what's going on either. So that's a difference from the original movies that I'm not sure if that would have helped or not, but I'm not missing the disguises. I don't need John Hamm dressing up as a French maid to sneak into Greek restaurants. Yeah,
2: thank God we're not getting that. If anything, we're getting someone impersonating Fletch. There's somebody in a Lakers hat who is in a video with the murdered woman, and that's what's going to get Fletch thrown in jail. Someone is obviously trying to frame him. We know Fletch is not guilty, so who is trying to send Fletch up the river?
1: Are you disappointed, Stuart? Like In the book, does it read like we should suspect Fletch is guilty? Because I feel like the movie is trying to do that a little bit, but it just can't because it's Fletch.
2: Here's what I would say. It takes a while to realize all the mysteries in play. You know about the dead girl instantly and you know he didn't do it, but you wonder why he's there. He's under false pretenses. He's using a name. He's acting like he cares about all this art, and you slowly start to suspect that he is out to scam this art dealer. So, you don't think he's guilty of all the crimes, but you think he might be a criminal in some capacity. Okay. And here, they have some of that, like he goes out and buys a van and asks some muralist to make it. You wonder what he might be doing, but I don't know that it feels like a evil mastermind plot. I'm still not entirely sure what that was. yeah, his getaway with the paintings he was always planning to steal these paintings and not return them to his girlfriend is the way I take it and yet he is surprised that she betrayed him when the countess is sharing photos and he realizes that he didn't just end up on an airbnb apartment that his girlfriend did in fact know Owen from back in college, it's starting to look like she is bad or at least involved in some way in this murder. He does steal the paintings. It might go unnoticed because he does it under this fireworks thing. And this movie is cut in a way that, again, it undersells maybe what Fletch is up to. He's just kind of bopping along and we're to laugh at the way that he's outrunning the cops without totally knowing all the time why he needed to go to Chinatown for fireworks. But yeah, he basically is creating a distraction once he realizes the paintings are on that yacht, owned by Horan. He gets away with them. Long before there's a climax to this movie, he is in possession of that. And I don't know, we're not to think about that too heavily? Well, actually,
1: the Count gives them to him, essentially. He admits that, you know, his family plundered them back in the day. He's always felt guilty about them, so... You keep them.
2: He could have returned them? You're saying that that's who he was really working for? Yeah, that's what
3: I took it as as well. Okay, so at this point, he doesn't look like a criminal. He isn't a criminal. And why he'd be getting that van to abscond with the art is still confusing to me because it doesn't seem like he's going to be taking the art. Right. You're
2: seeing where the screenwriters have changed motivations in a way that, yeah, makes Fletch not need to go to these extremes. I think he got the van too so he could escape some of the police spying on him. There wasn't bugs in the car and all of that. He was trying to drive around in an unmarked vehicle. Street kids basically vandalized it. He asked somebody to paint it up and it ended up being more conspicuous because of the mural.
3: And here that's what I thought when he bought it is he was buying it so that he didn't have to drive around in the low-jacked rental car, but he, all he does is drive it directly to the graffiti artist And of course, it's going to get a mural. He knows what he's asking for. However, I thought that was like hiding in plain sight. Sometimes if you have something so outlandish, nobody's going to suspect you of anything because why would you try to do something in a car that's one of a kind? Yeah, I get it.
1: Yeah. Honestly, it feels like a drop plot point. It feels like there was something more with the van that they just cut and ended up not using it because it reads as confusing. And this is where I could have used some of the voiceover narration to kind of fill in these spots where at the end, but we kind of rush to this end where it's like, wait, what's
2: going on? Who did what? Who? Huh? Oh, it's over? I kind of agree that this ending kind
3: of, I don't know if falls apart is the right word, but it definitely feels like all the tension is gone. The movie is only an hour 40 minutes and I think it could have run an extra 10 easily just to help decompress this ending somewhat. Because yeah, There's this big dinner party at that apartment where everybody shows up. Owen shows up. Owen's ex-wife, Tatiana, shows up. The boyfriend of the dead woman shows up. And I agree with you, Justin. This was confusing to me, too. I'm like, who is he? Why does he want to shoot Fletch? I didn't forget there was a dead girl, but I never knew the dead girl had a boyfriend. I think he was in some of the... At one point, they look at her Facebook profile,
2: and he was in some of the pictures. But again, most people are not going to notice that.
1: Well, he was supposed to be playing distraught, but he came off more of like, I thought maybe he was somebody that Owen got drugs from, because he looked almost strung out more <laughs> yeah. than distraught.
3: hmm And then, after all of this, Fletch and Andy get in this big argument for reasons that feel really convoluted, and Andy just leaves, and Fletch follows her, and yeah, she ends up at Ronald's place, Kyle McLaughlin. Yeah. So we know that she went to college. It's
2: been a slow reveal that she went to college here. She knew Owen. And we've had Ronald brag about how he taught at Harvard to everyone. And finally, those pieces come together. She was his former student. She was stealing the paintings from her stepmother. You know, it's a family feud, essentially.
3: And she thought her old teacher could help, not thinking he would betray her. And this is where I wonder if another motivation changed. She stole the paintings, gave them to her old art professor, but didn't think he was going to sell them, didn't want him to sell them, he just was going to hold on to them. Why not hide them in the same country? I don't know why you'd give them to an art dealer to not sell. That's where it gets muddy, because still
1: at the end, I'm not certain that she wasn't in this more nefariously, but the reading I guess we're supposed to take is is that she was just hiding them from her stepmother to try to make sure she wasn't just a gold digger and the guy who got them just happened to be willing to sell them because he's a criminal.
2: Yeah, something is made of the fact that these weren't really the family's paintings and that the real paintings
3: would have been law. Lo- I don't know. They were basically stolen in World War Two. Yeah, plunder. Yeah, they don't specifically say that it was, you know, like Jewish gold, but they say it would be the property of the government, not of this count. Yeah, Italy was on the Nazi side.
2: So yes, I think we can read that into it, but I'm not sure. It does feel like she should have her own agenda that might be a little bit more evil than it ends up coming out. And yeah, it kind of, all right, I will say that. The movie falls apart at the end. It isn't hold together. In the way that, in its best scenes, it manages to be smirky noir.
1: I think the biggest reason that it falls apart is because if we go through this whole journey, and if the one thing that we're left with at the end is Fletch found somebody he loved and they're getting married and stuff, but that's just kind of a throwaway line at the end. It's like, oh, she broke up with me. It's like, well, wait, so what is the end result here? Yeah,
2: every detective story is about brokenheartedness. You got to make that matter. And you want a movie this light to have a little bit of soul. And I do agree, it should hurt a little that they didn't end up together. I don't know, that she was more femme fatale.
3: Yeah, this fight seems to be where they broke up. And yet, it's also because he does bust onto the boat and accuse her of everything. And he's wrong. Not totally wrong.
2: She's not involved in the murder. But she was involved in stealing the paintings. She did have something to do with the kidnapping? Or did the dad just kidnap himself?
3: I believe the dad and Fletch are the ones responsible for the kidnapping Because when the dad wanders back in, Fletch doesn't react at all. I think that after being hired to find the paintings, Fletch and the Count decided, okay, why don't we fake this kidnapping where the only way to get you back is the Picasso? And there is this. Both the Countess and the Countess's stepdaughter love the Count. And so, by pretending he's in jeopardy, if one of them were involved, it would help them to surface this missing painting. Yeah, it's almost kind of a muffled
1: metaphor of King Solomon, where two people are fighting over a child, and Solomon tells them to cut the child in half, and they each get half. The true mother says, no, no, let the other one have it. But that whole thing gets muddled here, and Yeah, the throwaway line at the end where it was Fletch and the Count faked the kidnapping. I mean, it makes sense from a plot standpoint, but I don't think they drive it home well enough on screen. Once again, a little voiceover narration
2: would go a long way here. Sometimes the best way to do this is to show us those things visually. In a movie, I wanted to see Kyle MacLachlan dressed up in the Lakers hat and killing the girl. With a wine bottle, no less. We're told that happened, but can you visualize it?
3: I can't. No. And the fact that Inspector Monroe figured this out just because on the videotape briefly, the woman touches Kyle McLaughlin's arm and he pulls it away because he's a germaphobe. And why was this woman with Kyle McLaughlin? I mean, and she had a boyfriend. There's a lot of gray area surrounding this murder. It feels like a directorial problem. They weren't able to harness
2: all these plot elements in a way that is visually understood by movie audiences.
3: Yeah, they already proved they were willing to do flashbacks when they did the one month earlier in Rome. It would have been nice to have flashbacks to kind of dramatize some of what we're told. Right, yeah. So now that
1: we're at the end, let's unravel this a little bit. So what was Kyle McLaughlin's plan? He found a girl to kill to implicate Fletch for what? Just to get him out of the picture? To get him not to investigate what was going on? Reading into this
3: movie, it is not overtly stated, but Andy, the Countess's stepdaughter, Andy, put Fletch on the path to find the Picasso to rescue her dad. She sent him to Boston, where there's that art dealer, Kyle McLaughlin. Kyle McLaughlin finds out from Andy, oh, this guy Fletch is coming for me. And I've been selling these paintings, and I don't want to fake sell the Picasso to him. I need him to stay away. So he frames Fletch for the murder. Yeah. Just boil it down real simple. Fletch would have exposed that he was doing what he was doing. And he needed to be taken out before that happened. But he knew Fletch was coming because of Andy.
1: Right. Well, yeah, Arnie, you said it there, and I think you were just a little bit wrong because now I'm remembering. Fletch did say he had a lead. Because he found some of the art was being sold in Boston. And that's why she sends him a movie.
2: Okay. Yes. He told Andy that. Andy didn't want him to know that. Andy probably had to, yeah, tell her teacher, be on the lookout for this guy. He's an investigative reporter and he's coming for you. So this guy jumps to murder, which Andy wouldn't have suspected because she didn't believe he was capable of that. But Muddy, yeah. I think we can all agree that it would have been... Nicer to have all of these lines cleaner. Hey, we
1: got there, though. Between three of us, we figured out that motivation.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. And Fletch figures out how he can have that Picasso. Is that what he really loved? Is he that broken up about it? We do see that he passes it out between all of his connections, his old boss, the Countess.
3: Andy even gets one. Eve puts one in her kitchen. I love that John Slattery threw it in the garbage, and then Fletch is like, You might want to have that appraised before you throw it out. You just hear over the phone, Where's the garbage?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but he is alone in Central America on a boat, listening to an audiobook. Remember, he came there under the pretense he was investigating this Western painter, Tharp, and we see some of those Tharp paintings in his boat. We see a picture of Andy. So I guess he really did care about Andy. He really does care about art. And there's the Picasso. Take for it what you will. Did he really want that? Was it always about that? I don't know. Then right up to that very end, I was still thinking, pan
1: past the Picasso and we'll see Andy there too, because I really didn't believe that this could really be all about nothing. And like Short, you're saying, it feels like a drop plot point that he was a real big art lover. It just feels like second prize the way it plays out here. The ending
2: doesn't land. It doesn't have the character revealing twist that you would
3: want it to have. Three for three, I agree. The ending is the weakest part of the movie, and yet I'm still having fun while watching it. I'm still smiling, I'm still catching the jokes. I like that Grizz, who's been the punchline for so much of the movie, actually gets the kill shot in on Kyle McLaughlin and saves Fletch's life. I like that the sergeant inspector points out Fletch didn't really do anything to help with this investigation, and watching it a second time, I was really paying attention, and yeah, Fletch does great with the painting investigation, but he really does not help this murder investigation at all. But before Fletch sails off into the sunset, Justin, Stewart, do you recommend... Confess, Fletch,
1: Justin. I feel like I've
3: been nitpicky
1: here, but overall, I did enjoy watching this movie. I mean, I go back to the original Fletch, and coming back to it for this series... It was muddy in my mind. I couldn't remember exactly what happened in that movie or why anybody was doing what they did. And then watching it again, it was like, oh yeah, 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 this makes sense. And I kind of feel like this movie's gonna play that same way. I've only watched it once, and maybe after a few more viewings, it'll be one of those things where I'm just enjoying the character of Fletch, because after all, that's what this is about. If you're not enjoying the character of Fletch, be it Chevy Chase or now John Hamm, these movies are gonna be nothing to you at all. And even with the second Fletch. Being Chevy Chase, he couldn't say that one for me. But here, I'm in it for John Hamm. I think he's doing a good job, and I like this reinterpretation of the character. I think it's fine that we're not getting the wacky disguises. I think he's charming enough to pull this off. The mystery is good enough. It keeps it moving to keep me involved enough with this. And there's a few things that these reboot, soft reboot movies have been doing lately that I'm glad they didn't do which is bring back the original. I was scared to death that we were going to get a Chevy Chase
3: cameo here. Yeah, he could have been Minty, right? He could have been the kidnapped father. Or he could have been the old boss at the newspaper.
1: Yeah, they could have popped him in almost anywhere. I'm just glad they didn't. I'm glad they went against that instinct, or maybe they asked and he didn't want to do it. Either way, it works out for the better for me here. I would have liked to have them add just a little bit of the old score in here. I don't know how you modernize that, because it is so quintessentially 80s with that synth. But I would have liked a little bit of it here. But at the end of the day, I don't know that this is going to go down as a classic. I wouldn't mind if they kept going. I'd like to see another outing, see how they go with it. I do enjoy the character. So I'm going to land on recommending this if you are a fan of Fletch. But if you're just looking for a comedy or a good mystery, this isn't great at either of those things. So... Might recommend, but don't go in with high hopes of greatness.
2: Stuart. Lost art. That's the theme here, right? Missing paintings and the lost art of screwball comedy, which I am a huge fan of. Anytime anyone is willing to go back to the 30s and the 40s, comedy today just doesn't try. You know, usually today it's about cringe. It's about shock. It's about vulgarity to try and capture that staccato rhythm of eccentric Love making rituals. I feel like if you watch those 30 screwballs, I just really enjoy the rhythms. It's about quirky characters who kind of just pummel each other until they fall in love. This has a lot of that. It Again, I kept thinking about Woody Allen. I kept thinking about people that have a love for 30s comedy. But full confession, Fletch, you're not that great at it. Honestly, it's like kind of funny, but it's not really funny. It's kind of smirk, but no laugh funny everything here works for me much better than the chevy chase incarnation including him more polished in his sarcasm the mystery is definitely more complicated not always to good effect but filmmaking more polished i think that there is a reason to be encouraged about this direction but in the end i don't know how i could recommend that you watch it it's not good enough to recommend that you watch it But if you want to, it won't hurt you. It's kind of this mediocre pilot to what could grow into a good TV series, is what I think about. I would be up for another incarnation of this. Keep in mind, I didn't recommend Dr. No, and I like James Bond movies. You can have a kind of middling first episode and continue on. But this one just didn't make me laugh hard enough to recommend it. And it didn't help that I love the book. That's, I think, really important to note here is that I really like the source material, and I think they kind of lost a lot of what worked for it on the page in this telling. So, it's okay, but okay in my book isn't quite good enough for anything better than a mild not recommend. Wow,
3: a not recommend. Wow. Do you really like it? I love this movie. I absolutely loved this movie. I understand that the ending kind of falls apart narratively, but. I had such a great time both times watching this movie. I think John Hamm is the perfect Fletch. I think he works in this role better than Chevy Chase, and maybe it's just better for today. Maybe in 2023, we don't want to see the fake teeth and the wigs and the fake noses, but I like his laid-back easygoing sense of humor. I like that he doesn't get worked up about absolutely anything, even when he's being investigated for murder. I just love the overall persona of Fletch. And Jesse, you said you wouldn't mind seeing another one with him in it. I would absolutely love to see another one with him in it. I really wish this movie had exploded and been trending and things so that people would Want to invest in another Fletch movie with John Hamm. I think that the supporting cast is really remarkable in this. I know you said that the cops were dopey. I don't take them that way. I took them, yes, the junior detective is very green and still learning, and she's the brunt of a lot of jokes. But the inspector, I mean, he is very slow, but they do point out he does eventually arrest the perpetrators he's going after. Yeah, he saves Fletch. Fletch would have been dead if they hadn't figured out the case. And the supporting characters, the crazy Italians, the next-door neighbor setting her house on fire, and the dog that pees on the carpet because it's hungry. There's nothing in this movie that I don't enjoy, unless I'm sitting here trying to break down the story (laughs) narratively. Yeah, I get that there's, again, there's an effervescence to this kind of, again, it's screwball
2: comedy. It's a particular type of comedy that has this energy. And it it does have some of it, but it's just not, I don't know, maybe I care too much to be like, I
3: can't go with a mediocre version of it. And I don't find this to be mediocre. Now, I didn't read the book. I don't have anything to compare this to. But what I can say is, this is a good movie, and I give it a strong recommend.
2: Well, it's worth pointing out, you've liked all Fletches, so... I was going to always have a little bit harder time getting over the line than you on that.
3: Yeah, you've not liked any Fletches.
2: Yeah, I'm saying I would be up for a John Hamm sequel, but so far, Three Red Arrows. I would say Confess Fletch is the best, and then, I don't know, Fletch and... I don't know, I don't even care about the other two.
3: I say Confess Fletch is the best, the original Fletch is a classic, but just not as good, and then Fletch Lives is, of course, at the bottom. That's a
2: fair ranking.
3: But, yeah, wouldn't this
2: have been much better as a TV
3: series? Don't you just feel like,
2: including John Hamm, everything about it is too small for the big screen? There's a reason why they didn't want to put it out in theaters?
1: A TV series would be problematic to me because I don't want them stretching out a single mystery over 12 or 20 episodes.
2: Oh, no. I mean, this is the first episode of, like, more to come. You could have cut this down to an hour and... Weekly, more like moonlighting type of bite-sized mysteries.
3: Yeah, he's a detective. He's an investigator, yeah. I don't think John Hamm does TV anymore. I think he's too big for it, and he's what I love about this movie. He's definitely not too big for TV. He does progressive commercials.
2: Yeah, right? He progressive <laughs> he's dating Flo. <laughs> what are you talking about?
3: <laughs> but that is it for the Fletch retrospective series, and I'm just gonna go out on a limb. This is it forever for the Fletch Retrospective series. <laughs>
2: Well, you don't know. Kevin Smith could come back. He's still got his vision.
3: <laughs> yeah, He's too busy with Red State 2 and other sequels to movies nobody wants to see. But I don't know that Dow Playing will be here in 33 years when Fletch gets soft-rebooted again.
2: <laughs> well, good news is we have more comedic mysteries to cover. Next week, a big hit that got a sequel that just came out in theaters and will be on Netflix very soon. Knives Out. Daniel Craig in the Fletch role, if you will. We're covering that one, and then in two weeks, we'll cover the sequel, Glass Onion. Yeah, I'm
1: real excited for this. I've always meant to see Knives Out, never got around to it, and now that we're reviewing it, I have a good reason to jump in.
3: I'm looking forward to it. Meanwhile, this Friday, if you want some more laughs and you want to get in the holiday (laughs) spirit... (laughs) Don't watch Jingle (laughs) All The Way! (laughs) We did so many Arnold movies this year, and there was one 90s Christmas classic that Stuart had never seen. Classic? This word should be banished. (laughs) And so our patrons of $10 a month or more will be getting that review this Friday. It is the 74th bonus review. If you go to our Patreon or Podbean and pledge $10... That's the best $10 you'll ever spend. You're going to get over 70 bonus movie reviews just sitting right there waiting for you. Nearly 100 hours of bonus content. And then another one is added every single month. So you can find the links to that from our homepage at nowplayingpodcast.com. And thank you to everyone who is a patron. Hopefully you enjoy Jingle All The Way This Friday. And Justin Stewart, thank you for joining me. And until next time, go out and get yourself a nice piece of ass.
1: Well, let me just say I'm glad that we finally solved this case together. We? We? We three.
0: Thank you for listening to this Now Playing Podcast movie review. We hope you enjoyed the show. Why don't we both relax and go in there and lie down and uh, I'll fill you in. Help us spread the word about this show by leaving a five-star review on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, or your podcast store of choice. Five stars. Want more reviews like this one? In the archives section of nowplayingpodcast.com, you'll find more than 1,000 in-depth movie reviews from our panel of hosts. Are you always as forward? Only with wet married women. On our site, you can hear reviews for every installment in the world's biggest film franchises, including the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Star Wars, Spider-Man, Batman, X-Men, James Bond, Middle Earth, Jurassic Park, Fast and Furious, and Transformers. All I needed now was a computer and a 10-year-old kid to teach me how to use it. Plus, we have individual movie reviews, such as Avatar, Titanic, E.T., Inception, Big Hero 6, Ready Player One, Pulp Fiction, Apocalypse Now, Dr. Strangelove, and hundreds more. I don't shower much. And come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com next Tuesday for another all-new movie review podcast. I had to keep digging without a shovel. Support from listeners like you keeps Now Playing Podcast on the air.
3: If you've got $1,000 in the bank, don't be afraid to send the whole $1,000.
0: $1,000 just to listen. I don't see how you can pass that up. You can donate directly by tapping the support button at NowPlayingPodcast.com.
1: Cash or check or MasterCard. Master
0: and you can join our crowdfunding campaign for early access to new episodes, exclusive reviews, and bonus reviews. And bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia while you're out there. Need more now playing? Subscribe to our In Focus weekly newsletter for exclusive digital download giveaways, celebrity interviews, behind the scenes insights, and more. Sign up through the subscribe page on our website and get it delivered to your inbox every Friday. Unless my people hear differently, that letter goes out at midnight. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Oh, I don't know, I guess I thought after a lifetime of hedonism, it was time to rededicate my life. Associate produced by Jason Latham. He truly defines grace under pressure. Now Playing is edited by Heath, Santiago, and Arnie.
2: They're still working from home. Can you believe it? They're fucking babies.
0: Now Playing credits read by Brock. Shut up and talk. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the views of Enganza Media Incorporated.
2: I'm very sorry. Uh, I was wrong.
0: And you have to admit, it was a pretty good theory. I just missed a couple of it. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created the film analyzed herein. That's why you're such a great reporter, you know the facts. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. Well, no, I'm no lawyer, but uh, I do you believe that's a violation of my rights? Now playing podcast is an exclusive trademark of and may not be used without the express written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. You're not making this sound any less sketchy, bro. Now playing is a Vinganza Media production. Copyright 2022. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Sincerely, I am Fletcher. PS, have a nice day.
2: Sometimes I feel like they're making ties. Sometimes I feel like they're trying to do their own thing. Yeah,
1: I mean, and just from a timeline standpoint, it wouldn't make sense that this is a sequel to the previous films. It was like it was mentioned we're thirty years on here, and we're dealing with John Hamm, who's younger than Chevy Chase was while making the originals.
3: He is. John Hamm is fifty-one. I'm pretty sure Chase was in his thirties during those Sledge films. Holy cow! <laughs> well. Then the age
1: almost could add up then, you know, get somebody 10 years older and you could cause more confusion, I guess. <laughs> you haven't seen Yoga Hosers. No, I have not. Do not.
2: <laughs> Did you see Clerks 3?
1: I didn't. Not yet, but I probably will because I'm not fully off the Kevin Smith bandwagon, at least for no other reason out of morbid curiosity.
3: I feel like it's going to be morbid. They all look on the verge of death.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's morbid.